right, good evening, everyone. So glad to be here with you. So I've heard it said so many times that people are different behind a closed door. Behind a closed door, there's a sense of security that pushes the rest of the world out and, and it allows the true us to come out. A majority of fights you've had with your spouse, your kids, your parents, I can almost guarantee was behind a closed door. Those times you might feel emotional and vulnerable, it might force you behind a closed door so that the world can't see you cry. Those times of deep talks on controversial topics with your kids, those times where you failed and need to ask for forgiveness, all these things can happen outside the door. But for the most part, I can say with almost certainty that a lot of those things, a lot of the time, are behind the safety, security, and sanctuary of a closed door. So I got to experience this firsthand this week. On Monday, I got a text from my mom saying that my, uh, my grandma had passed away, and it, uh, it hit me pretty hard. And behind the closed door of my room, I just, I just sat there and cried. Behind the closed door of my house, I grieved the loss of the most amazing Christian woman in the world with my wife and kids. Remembering her life and how her life was always focused on Jesus, always. About an hour, an hour after I, I heard the news, I, I booked a flight and I flew home to Arizona uh, to be with my family. And behind closed doors, we remembered this woman who fought with Parkinson's for years. But even in this trial, even in this trial, there was joy. Even in this trial, she studied the word, she prayed for her family, she shared the good news of Jesus until she couldn't move anymore. This trial that my grandma went through produced steadfastness in her life, in my life, in the life of my entire family. The steadfastness that the only way to get through this life is with a true relationship with the Lord. Serving him, loving him, the steadfastness that we want to share the good news of Jesus. God, our Savior, came and as a humble servant, he lived the perfect life. He died for our sins and rose again. And if we repent of our sins, realize we need him, we need to be saved and believe in him, we are saved. This is the truth that my grandma lived for. My grandpa said something so profound in regards to my grandma's passing. He said, Mom has experienced the reality of her faith. She is with Jesus. I feel like nothing could say it better. What a better example of a faith that works. What a better example of joy through trials. And what a better example of living your life with a focus on the Lord. A focus on the gospel and a focus on the kingdom. So there was a closed door in my grandma's life that she stood behind patiently. She stood behind this door with eager excitement. Even when it was hard to wait patiently behind the door, she did it with a smile on her face. 
she stood there steadfastly. Even when trials came, when Parkinson's came, she stayed waiting. Behind this door, she was the same as if the door was opened. And this WCC church family is the closed door we're going to be talking about today in James. And this is the most important door. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just come before you right now and just want to thank you so much for this time that we have to be together to open um, your word, be able to see what it is you would, you would have us learn about you, learn about um, who we are in you, God, and that we could grow closer to you, God, that we would see you more clearly today. God, I pray that you would help remind us daily of who you are, why we are here and what we are supposed to be doing in this world. God, I pray that you would speak through me today. God, I pray that you would just, um, you would just use this incredible passage to transform lives. Transform lives. And just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so so far in this book, James has hammered home some massive points. If you've been following along at all with our sermons or been a part of any of the online sermons, you know there's been some huge points that James has made, and a lot of them have been very difficult to digest. This is a, this is a pretty intense book, and some of the things he says are pretty difficult to, uh, to digest at times, but he always comes full circle to two themes that run throughout the book, and that is a faith that works and patience in suffering. Those are the two main themes that the book, that encapsulates the entire book. And this is reminding us consistently of what our faith should look like and what having faith will look like. Living our lives for Christ and having faith in the cross puts a target on our back that the world is constantly firing at. We're promised in this book there will be trials. We're promised in this book there will be tribulation, but we're urged to stay steadfast. And we're reminded to consider it pure joy when these trials come, for it produces this steadfast that we're talking about, as it says in uh, 1, 2 through 4. This steadfastness isn't just putting up a wall to the world, becoming callous to it, and just going about our days. It's not what this is talking about. This isn't about putting up a wall. This steadfastness is the driving force to trust our Savior and to go out into the world more resolved to share our working faith. We're urged to stay strong. Remember our purpose here on this planet, which is having a relationship with our Creator, loving the world around us by showing our faith and sharing our faith, this is all for the sake of the kingdom, all of it. We're being reminded and encouraged that he's coming back. He's at the door. This world is so broken. It wears us down. It beats us down. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Take heart because the king is coming. The king is coming. That's what it all breaks down to. That's what it all breaks down to. The king is coming. 
And this passage we're going to dive into ties it all together and reaffirms everything that's been set up to this point. So James starts off this passage going back to the verse that we just talked about in 1, 2 through 4 that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Which brings us to this verse 7 that we're starting off with that says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, for the coming of the Lord. Like I said earlier, it brings us full circle, but it gives us an end game to those verses in chapter 1. The reason that we consider it joy is for the sake of steadfastness, growth, the ability to endure for the sake of the gospel, and the encouragement to keep going. We remember these things because we know the glorious truth that he is coming back. We need to remember this, live by it, and go out for the sake of it. Be patient, therefore, brothers. Be steadfast. He is coming. One thing that we have to dive into with this verse, though, is what is the therefore, therefore? I'm sure a majority of you have heard that said before, but anytime we see this in Scripture, it is always pointing back to what was just said. And what was said previously was a doozy. I don't know how many of you were here for Dan's sermon last week, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty good one. The passage Dan preached on last week all had to do with the rich, unrighteous people taking advantage of others. 5, 6, one of the verses Dan preached on last week says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous, and he does not resist you. So initially, when I first started studying this, I was, I was extremely confused, to say the least. Why in the world would James be pointing back to these verses? What does the unrighteous person who murders and takes advantage have to do with being patient for the coming of the Lord? But then the light bulb went off. It makes perfect sense, actually. In this world, there will always be evil people doing evil things for the sake of personal gain. It doesn't matter how much collateral damage happens, they're still going to continue. Those people will always be here and always doing those things. So this being the case, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, need to understand, we need to acknowledge that these trials will happen. We need to understand that living a righteous life in this world, as I said before, puts a target on your back. I've heard so many stories of, of believers truly desiring to live out Colossians 3.23, which says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Meaning, doing everything in your life, work or whatever it is for the Lord. And this makes us a target. Because we, we're not living like the world. We're living for Christ. We're not trying to sneak our way up the ladder, but doing the right thing and doing what we're supposed to do. Then it says at the end of verse 6, He does not resist you. 
in our patience and steadfastness. We won't give up our integrity as believers and won't resist. We are, we're not going to fight back because we know the Lord is coming back, as it says, in the middle of seven. We know that this world is fading and we're going to stand by our, our obedience to the king. He's the one who will right the wrongs. We aren't the judge. He is. The best thing we can do is have a faith that works and a heart for these people so that through our lives, maybe they'll see this truth. So when we're being beat down, brought down, it seems like the whole world is against us. What is our perspective of these people? Are we just mad at them? We're just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe they said this. I can't believe they said that. Or are we, do we have a correct perspective of they're lost. They need Jesus. They, they need the truth. Our desire is that they see the king and that they see the error of their ways. He continues on verse 7 with an example. It, it kind of hits home this idea of patience. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So the farmer knows and understands his land. He understands his crops, but also he understands what the weather's going to be. He works hard. He plans the time of year that he needs to, and even though he doesn't know the exact day of the early and late rains, he counts on it. He counts on those early and late rains for the sake of his crops, for the sake of that hard work. He waits patiently for the fruits of his labor. He works so hard to, to get all planted. I don't know if you, any of you know any farmers, but that is hard labor. That is hard work that they put into that. But again, he patiently has to wait. I feel like James couldn't have used a better example here because he goes right into verse 8 with, you also be patient. You also be patient. Take the example, the example of this farmer to heart. We're here on this earth laboring. Some days it might feel like the scorching heat is going to kill us. Like there, there's no end in sight for the rains to come. For the Lord to come back. But be patient. Be joyful in the trials. Keep your head high. He is at the door. The fruits of the labor will be seen. We, we just have to be patient for the day. He continues in 8 with, establish your hearts for the Lord is at hand. This phrase, establish your hearts, is, is actually really important. It's important because it's the how on being patient. It's the how on being patient. He said several times in just two short verses, be patient. Everybody be patient, be patient. But we, up to this point, do we really know how we're supposed to be patient? But that's what he, that's what he gets into right here. In this one phrase, he gives us everything that we need to know. The definition of establish is to set up on a firm and permanent basis. I feel like there's not a better way that he could have said it because it's, this is the massive point that to be patient, to live this out, we need to have a permanent, firm foundation. 
Not moving, not shaking, but permanent. To live this out, we need to stand firm on what we believe and how we live it out. We need to stand firm on the cross, on our obedience to him with a faith that works and a joy through our trials. We must establish our hearts. Knowing this world is broken, we have to stand tall on the only firm foundation. We have to. For he is at the door. He is coming back. Which brings us to what in my mind might be the passage that ties this whole book together. It might not seem like it at first glance, but if you dig, it goes deeper than you might think. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. For those of you that know me, you know I have a wife and two awesome kids. And one of my favorite things is coming home. I love coming home. When I flew back from Arizona on Wednesday, I drove home, I parked my truck, walked up to the white door in my garage. And my kids, I'm sure those of you with kids, you know this, they have that sixth sense that when dad's home, they're, they're at the door. They know that you're home for some reason. It's weird. And when I opened the door, they were standing there smiling ear to ear, and they attacked me. They were hugging me. They were telling me how much they miss me, that they love me, that they've been waiting patiently for me to come home. I was only gone for two days. I was only gone for two days. And even with that, they were just so excited. They've been waiting for their dad to come home. Now, I want to, I want to give you another scenario here. What if I had flown home, parked my truck, walked to the white door in my garage, and from the door, I heard fighting. And when I opened the door, my kids are arguing back and forth, grumbling about, he did this, she said that. What if they didn't care that I came home? What if they were so distracted by their own issues and their own problems, they forgot that I was even coming? This is exactly what this verse is saying. In this life, it can be so easy to forget the end game. It can be so easy to get caught up in the world with all of its problems. The terrible things people have done to us, the fact it seems like things are not fair. Our focus can shift so easily on the things that don't matter that we lose sight of the things that matter the most. Our Father is at the door. He's coming home. When we lose sight of this truth, we lose sight of everything. Having faith that works, having joy through trials, hearing and doing the word, loving God and loving our neighbors as the royal law says in 2.8, losing sight of the door skews everything. We have to remember the door to remember what we're here for. We need to remember the door to remember how we should live here. And we need to remember the door to remind us of who we serve here. The judge is at the door. 
Our Savior is at the door. He's coming back soon, and when he opens the door, what will he find? I think this is an incredible reminder to all of us to evaluate our lives and if we are truly, patiently waiting behind the door. Living our lives for the sake of the good news of Jesus. Living out a faith that works. Understanding the joy we need to have in trials for the sake of the steadfastness that will help us keep firm and established behind the door, waiting patiently. Understanding that true happiness on this earth is through steadfast obedience. It says in 125, James 125, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So like I said, everything comes back to the door. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Because we understand what he did for us, we desire to live our lives for him, waiting at the door patiently, even in the midst of the world beating us down. We understand that we want to let the noise of the world around us fade away, that we want laser focus on the truth and sharing it with the world. Standing with a smile on our face at the door, not grumbling against one another, not distracted by the brokenness, but encouraged, as I said before, to go out into the brokenness with a constant focus on the door. James continues on with another example that I feel like it would have been really relevant in those days to the people that were hearing it, but it's also extremely relevant to us right now in this time. It's a, it's a solid example to help wrap this book up with the points that he's been trying to make. It says this starting in 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James brings up the prophets that went through the ringer. Men that even though they were beat down to the point of no return, they lived their lives focused on the end game. They lived their lives focused on the door says they were counted as blessed because they endured. Which in my mind brings up a point that we all need to understand. And that is being blessed does not mean that everything is awesome. Being blessed does not mean that everything is great. Being blessed is running the race. Running it well with the right perspective and the right focus. Being able to stand firm from the trials. 
being joyful in those trials and having the steadfastness by the grace of God to make it to the end. Once we understand that being blessed isn't about stuff like what the prosperity gospel tries to push on us, and we understand that it's through God we have the supernatural ability to keep going for the sake of the kingdom, we then can know truly what we are here for. If our whole point of being on this planet is having a relationship with him, living for him, sharing him, then wouldn't it make sense that happiness through obedience and steadfastness that being blessed isn't about stuff or our current situation, but the ability to keep going, the, the ability to stay focused on the end game, on the door. This is what so many believers miss. I, I pray this morning that this will help change your perspective and where your focus is. At the end of the verse, it says, the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. He loves us. He loves us. He cares about us and isn't some giant angry kid in the sky with a magnifying glass trying to torture us. He's the comforter. He's the guide. He's the one who gave us salvation if we believe in him and gives us the strength to endure through this life, through this broken, terrible world. This is compassion and mercy when we deserve nothing. This is truly being blessed and where true happiness actually lies. This knowledge is how we can truly establish our hearts. And this is how we can keep our focus on the door. Job 42.5 says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Through all he went through, I'm sure you all know the story of Job. Through, through all he went through, at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end, Job is closer to God. You wouldn't think that would be the case. He went through, if you talk about going through the ringer, Job went through the ringer. But at the end of it, he sees God. He sees him more clearly. I feel like that's so interesting. He understands and sees him. He was blessed because of his focus. And was blessed because he got to see firsthand how even in tragedy, he saw the purpose. From here, James goes into something that I, I think it's, I thought initially was very odd in connection to what we just talked about. It is highly debated on where it actually fits. It says in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay, so but above all. That's a pretty bold statement that James is making right here. But above all, after all we just read, all that we've gone through, this is the thing that he says is above all. How does that have anything to do with the door or our focus on the end game? 
Open up to uh, chapter 4, 13 through 16. It says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So I feel like th this ties together really well, actually with what he was saying in verse 12 and what we've been talking about. Who are you to swear on things you have no idea about? Who are you to swear on anything that you have no idea about? Say yes to the things God wants you to do and no to the things that are forbidden. Swearing by anything puts you into a position of disconnect from the main point because you're putting it into your hands. You're putting it into your own hands. It puts the focus on you and what you will do versus what God needs you to do. I think this is the bow at the top of the box for this book. It takes the whole book and in my mind is basically saying, keep the focus where it needs to be. Keep the focus where it needs to be. Not on you or what you will do, but keep your focus on the door and what is actually needed of you. These verses, they've been so convicting for me because it showed me how often my focus is off the door. It shows me the amount of times I focus on the things that don't matter, and I get extremely impatient. Don't ride around with me in traffic because if you want to see impatience, you'll, you'll get to see it then grumbling around about the world around me, being frustrated in trials versus having joy in them, knowing that's going to produce steadfastness, which will produce patience. I realize that when my focus is off the door, my faith is not working very well. This has made me more resolved than ever that I want to live my life as my grandma did, as Job did, as the prophets did waiting patiently at the door with a smile on my face. Looking forward to the day I will get to experience the reality of my faith. So as you sit here today, where are you at? Are you sitting patiently behind the door waiting for the Father to come home? Living your life with that as the focus or are you stuck grumbling about the world and the injustices? Are you stuck spending more time thinking about the cases and death count of COVID or who is wearing a mask and who isn't than you are focusing on the door? Are you more focused on riots and protests and injustices in the world than you are on the door? I've seen more grumbling about other people. I've seen more fear, more tension than I think I have in my entire life. And for some reason, I've seen all of these things in the lives of believers who know the Lord and claim the cross. Believers all over the world are losing sight of the door. They're losing sight of it. In fact, from what I've observed, they have their back turned to the door while they scream the other direction. 
They grumble about whoever doesn't see eye to eye. In this crazy time we live in, it's actually really hard to keep focus. It's really difficult. And I am in no way trying to point the finger and be like, I'm holier than thou. Like, how dare everyone be doing this? Because this is hard in the time we're living in. Like I said just a few seconds ago, I, I struggle with this. I've, this, is, this is difficult. Trying to keep my focus where it needs to be. And I thank God for this passage and the conviction that it has brought me to remember these truths in this time. I saw this post circulating uh, yesterday that I thought fits so well with what we're talking about today. Um, it's an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. If you haven't heard of this book, it's an incredible book. Um, it's C.S. Lewis's way of portraying what it is demons would be saying to each other to try to make us fall, try to make us fail, and keep our eyes off the door. This excerpt says this. My dear Wormwood, be sure that the patient remains, remains completely fixated on politics. And right here I'm going to add COVID, riots, um, murder hornets, whatever. Arguments, political, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further development. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there is a problem with himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, 1942. Satan and the demons so desperately want our eyes off the door. I think that that's a piece to this that we miss sometimes, is even while we're talking about keeping our focus, keeping our patience, a faith that works, like making sure that through trials that we remain joyful because it produces steadfastness, we are living in a spiritual war as well. We are living in a spiritual war. What a better way for Satan to, to distract us and throw us off. Like, all these crazy things are happening in the world right now. What a better way than be like, oh, look at that guy. Can you believe that that guy is slash isn't or has a mask on the side or whatever? Can you believe that? You should get so irritated about that. Can you believe these riots and these protests and, wow, I cannot, I do not see eye to eye with that. What a better way for Satan to get under our skin to keep our focus and our eyes off the door. They know when our focus is not, they, they want our focus to be where it's not supposed to be because it makes us ineffective. We lose sight of the truth and what it is we are here for. So my question again is where is your focus? Is this your wake-up call to remember the door? Remember where true joy lies and remember a faith that works. I pray this morning you would truly evaluate where you're at. Sorry, it's evening. I pray this evening you would evaluate where you're at. Taking time this week to focus on the store. 
taking time to think through a faith that works, taking time to think through joy in trials, and above all, thinking through trust in the one standing behind the door. As you leave here today, I want you to ponder this question. What does my life look like behind the closed door? All right, let's pray. God, uh, again, I just want to thank you for this time. God, thank you for this, this incredible passage. God, it is so convicting and just, it just uh, reminds me so often how much I fail. But God, that you are so good and you are so kind and so loving and you are there to pick up the pieces even when I fail. God, even when my, my eyes are off the door, you are there. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us turn our eyes to you constantly. Turn our eyes to the end game, knowing that you are coming back, knowing that we want to live our lives for you for that sake. Not to be distracted by the world, but to be focused on your good news and sharing it with the people for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your glory, God. God, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.